Well, good morning. It's great to have this opportunity to be with you. It's been such a joy for Kara and myself to be part of Redeemer. We've really appreciated uh, the ministry and the relationships that we've developed and look forward to continue to develop. So we're very thankful uh, to be part of what God is doing here and look forward to what God will be doing uh, in the future. So we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews is a great book. It's written to Jewish believers who have just placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but guess what? Trouble starts. And so they are facing persecution be, uh, because of their faith in him and are tempted to walk away from Jesus. And really, the book of Hebrews is a sermon. And the sermon is, don't turn back. Keep your eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and keep running. And what the author does is he takes the Old Testament and he looks at the sacrificial system and he says, look, every single day there were sacrifices being made, but guess what? Jesus came and he was one sacrifice for sin and you no longer need a sacrifice. Jesus has taken care of that. Look at the high priests, how they die. And you have to have a new high priest over and over again. Guess what? Jesus Christ is a greater high priest and he lives forever to redeem you. And look, the Christian life isn't easy, right? If you've been on the journey long enough, you understand that it's not an easy journey. But the truth is, it's worth it. And that we need to keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ when we're tempted to turn back, when it gets difficult, when it gets challenging. We focus not on ourselves, but we focus on the power of the gospel. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It's in page 1008 in the Bibles there for you if you need to look it up. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the gospel. Lord, it's not just our entry point into our relationship with you, it's the core, it's the center. And Lord, we confess this morning that we need you every single second of every minute, of every hour, of every day. And Lord, we're thankful that we're not left alone in this journey, but you are with us. And that you empower us to do what you've called us to do. Lord, we just pray that we would keep our eyes focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. So I can remember it like it was yesterday. It was a crisp March morning. Birds were singing, sun was shining, and I was at Otter Creek Junior High School in the seventh grade, outside, lined up with my class to run the mile. 
And I had decided that morning that today I was going to make my mark. You see, until this point, I'd just been an ordinary kid. So I was standing next to the fastest kid in school, Jason. And I decided that today I was going to run the fastest mile in school history. So the gym teacher motioned and we were off, man. And I bolted out into a commanding lead. I left Jason in my dust. And as I was running faster than the speed of light, I was imagining how proud my parents would be of me. The fastest kid in school. Yeah, that's my boy. (laughs) Girls would adore me. Guys would want to be me. Maybe the paper would cover this amazing event. And in the middle of my delusion of grandeur, I was interrupted by a sharp pain in my side. I leaned over and was gasping for air. Jason passed. Another group of guys passed. And then everybody passed, laughing at the kid who was trying not to die from running the mile. (laughs) So I finally found uh, a place where there were some trees and I could hide from the gym teacher. And I put my uh, hands on my knees and just tried to get some air so I would survive. Jason passed again. But finally, I gained enough strength to finish the mile. And indeed, I had made my mark. The slowest mile in school history. I learned an important lesson that day. You don't run a long distance race like it's a sprint. Yes, I consider the mile a long distance race. (laughs) Right? It takes discipline. It takes devotion. It takes motivation. And that's true of the Christian life. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And we need to be prepared for a race of faith. That's a marathon. And I would venture to say that there are some of you this morning who were excited about Jesus Christ. When you first came to know him, you started off running. You were so excited about what you were going to do for him. But if you're honest this morning, you're standing with your hands on your knees, gasping for spiritual breath. You're tempted to drop out of the race of faith. You've realized that it's going to be difficult, that it's going to be hard. And finishing the race of faith is of the utmost importance. And so this morning, I want to look at three things that we need to do in order to make sure that we finish strong. The first thing that I want to look at this morning is that we need to determine to finish the race of faith. We need to be focused on the fact that this is going to be a long race, it's going to be a long journey, and we need to be devoted and determined and committed to finishing it. If you look at the passage, it says we need to run with what? Endurance, the race that is set before us. And the Bible uses graphic metaphors to describe the Christian life. The Christian life is described as a war or a wrestling match. It's not that we're at war with others, but against powerful spiritual forces who seek to devour us. The Christian life is described by the Apostle Paul in Corinthians as a boxing match, and it's a fight against the temptation to live for our own glory, to live for our own selfish desires. And in this passage, we see that the Christian life is described as a race. And the word here used uh, in the Greek is agon, and we get the word agony from this word. 
this word is also translated, Paul uses it, it's translated as conflict and fight. When Paul says, I fought the good fight, he's, it's the same word that's translated here as race. So what does it look like to run the race that God has called us to? What it means to run the race with endurance is that we are called to run after God with all of our strength. We are pursuing the person of God through Jesus Christ. It means that we're to pursue our relationship with God as an Olympic athlete pursues gold. The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And it's important for us to understand that the way victory looks in this race. Victory for us is finishing the course that God has set before us. So how do we prepare to go the distance and finish strong? How do we prepare for the race that God set before us? We need to strengthen right, our spiritual muscles. We need to train for the long run home like a runner prepares for a marathon. Right? You don't wipe the cheese it crumbs off your shirt, roll off the couch, step out the door, and run 26.2 miles. So how do you strengthen your spiritual muscles? We strengthen our spiritual muscles by exercising faith, one choice at a time. We gain strength by trusting God, regardless of how difficult the journey is. We need to exercise our faith in order to to grow stronger so that we'll finish. So we see here that the Christian life is described as warfare, as a wrestling match, as a fight, as a marathon. So what do we learn about the Christian life from these metaphors? Right? The Christian life is hard. The Christian journey is difficult. The race that is set before us is challenging. Paul David Tripp and Timothy Lane in their book, How People Change, describe the Christian life this way. The Bible describes the Christian life as a journey that often takes us through the wilderness. You will get tired and confused. You will have moments when you wonder where God is. You will feel that following God has brought you more suffering than blessing. It will seem as if the wrong side wins. There will be moments when you feel alone and misunderstood. And there will be times when you feel like quitting. Well, that's awesome. (laughs) Welcome to the Christian life. But it's important that we have a realistic understanding to what God has called us to. You see, there are people who turn on the TV and hear a message that, look, if you want your better life today, put your faith in Jesus. If you want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, follow Jesus. And guess what? People buy into that, and they start following Jesus, and someone they love gets sick. They lose their job. Life gets challenging. And they're like, what, what did I sign up for? I remember sitting in a living room with a couple who heard that message and were done with church because they were praying for a healing that never happened. And so for them, either God is not able to do what he said he can do, or there's something wrong with me. Folks, that's not the gospel. That's not what we're signing up for. The gospel is 
getting God through Jesus Christ, establishing a relationship through Jesus Christ, and there is no promise. You read the Old Testament and New Testament, your life is not going to be easy this side of heaven. It's going to be a battle, it's going to be a fight, it's going to be a struggle, it's going to be a wrestling match. So some of you are like, man, I'm just, I came here to learn something about Christianity, I don't know if I want to sign up for that. Why would you sign up for that? You know, what, what are you guys doing? What do you get from it? <laughs> we get God. We, through Jesus Christ, have a relationship with God. And that's important because in God, through Christ, we have found what everyone is looking for. You see, people walk around in quiet desperation looking for something to fill up that aching pain that that they've looked to fill through relationships, through a career, through pornography, through alcohol, through drugs. People are looking somewhere to fill up this void, to make that ache that there's something more go away, and they're looking in the wrong places. Even people who have reached the top of their professions will say, I think, thought this was it, and it's not. Some of you may remember um, an interview with Tom Brady in 2005 on 60 Minutes with Steve Croft, and he's talking about how successful he's been, and just to paraphrase, Brady's like, you know what, I've got these three, I've got these three rings, we won't talk about how many he has now. I've got these three rings, and I've done everything that people told me I need to do to be successful, but why is it that I feel like there's something more? What, I feel like I'm, I'm missing something. And I look at this and I say, God, there's got to be more than this. And Steve looks at him and says, what is it? And he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. The lead singer of Counting Crows in their song 1492. Any fans? Anybody? Counting Crows? He sings, he screams this. I am the king of everything, but I am the king of Nothing. I am the king of everything, but I am the king of nothing. And people go around looking all over the place for something to fill them up. But we as believers have found that because we were created to have a relationship with God. We've learned in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. That's what we're looking for. And as believers, yes, there is a promise of heaven for sure. Jesus is better now than anything else that we're looking to to fill us up. That's why we enter into this race of faith. As St. Augustine said, because you have been made, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Jesus is the answer to that aching. And I would encourage you that through faith in him to enter into this journey with us, you will find that he will indeed meet that need and so much more. And hey, eternal life as well, thrown in. So that means we have to believe that as Christians. 
as we suffer, as we struggle, as we go through this race and realize that it's a marathon, we need to have faith that God is worth it. That the race and the struggle and the difficulty is indeed worth it. We need to run this race by faith. And remember in, in, the, in the passage, it says that we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. This phrase, running with endurance, really is a metaphor for enduring faith, ongoing faith in Jesus Christ. It's a race of faith. And Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 tell us what we need to believe if we're going to continue on this journey. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. Got it? And listen to this. And that He rewards those who seek Him. It's a race of faith, and we need to believe that He does indeed reward us if we, the King James says, diligently seek Him. And there are others who have gone on before us who have run the race and would say that uh, it's worth it. If you look again at uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are so surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside and run the race before us. That's going back to chapter 11, where there's this chronicle of Old Testament saints who have run the race before we have by faith. So it starts off... uh, By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Jacob. And and it goes on and on and on. This cloud of witnesses in the Old Testament and others who have gone after them say that, look, it's a race of faith. You have to believe that God will indeed bless you and reward you for seeking him. And it's worth putting off the things of the world to pursue him. So this group endured torture, imprisonment, homelessness, death, because they received the reward of knowing God, and they were looking for a better city, a city whose builder is God. They were looking for the reward. So, So this group of witnesses that have gone on before us are like the crowd that's standing along the road of a marathon, clapping and cheering us on. And they're saying to us, keep running. It's worth it. We've been there. And in light of eternity, the finish line is right around the corner. So if we're going to finish the race of faith, we need to determine that we're in it for the long haul, that we're going to finish, that we're going to prepare to run the race of faith like a runner prepares to run a marathon. So the question this morning is, Are you pursuing God and your relationship with him the same way that an Olympian would pursue gold? Are you pursuing God the same way that a runner prepares for a marathon? So certainly we need to be prepared. We need to run with endurance. We need to train for that. But if you are indeed striving to run to the end, the race of faith, you're going to face obstacles. You're going to face challenges, right? So not only must we determine to finish the race, we must also determine to fight through the obstacles. Look again at verse 1. The author of Hebrews lists two obstacles here that we need to fight through. 
It says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So as believers, as we're running, we need to fight through obstacles. The first obstacle that's listed is weight. Let us lay aside every weight, it says. And runners avoid excess weight like the plague. They train and watch their diet to shed body weight. Uh, running, running shoes are as light as feathers, like weight is the runner's enemy, right? And in the race of faith, we must lay aside every weight that slows us down on the journey, even things that are not sinful. So we can be weighed down uh, by our career, by a relationship, by entertainment. Uh, our education can weigh us down. And sadly, even football can weigh us down. Not that I'm playing it, but I'm watching it, right? But, but this is difficult. So how do you know when something that's good and a godly pursuit can become a weight in our race of faith? Well, the obligatory Timothy Keller quote will help us with this. <laughs> if anything becomes, he writes, if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning of life, and identity, then it's an idol. Let me read that again. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning of life, and identity, then it's an idol. And idols weigh us down on the race of faith. So if your career is the ultimate source of your happiness and identity, it's a weight that needs to be shed. Like, not by quitting your job, right? But by repenting that you've made it an idol and the source of your identity and start making it a way to honor and glorify God. So the first obstacle that we need to overcome is weight. What are those things in our life that we're pursuing that, that may not be sinful, that may not be wrong, but are weighing us down, that we've made idols? And the second thing that we need to overcome, the second obstacle is sin. We need to um, be careful and guarded against the sin that so easily entangles us, or this uh, version the ESV says, and sin which clings so closely. Look, if we're going to overcome the obstacle of sin, the first thing we need to do is admit that we have a problem with it. And specifically, all of us have a certain sin that trips us up. And it may be different for you than it is for me. So for some people, the challenge and the sin that they have to overcome is pride. For some of us, it's lust. For some, it's anger. And for some, it's worry. So what is that sin that trips you up? What is that sin that has entangled you now and slowing you down on the race of faith? You need to identify it. And look, you need to say, I need help. It's a challenge. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. And unless Jesus untangles this mess, I'm going to get tripped up. In fact, if you're not able to think of a sin right now, that's tripping you up and keeps reoccurring in your life, it's probably you haven't engaged in the battle against sin. Uh, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity puts it this way. He says, No man knows how hard, uh, how bad he is till he has resisted very hard to be good. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. And so... We, we have a sin that we have to engage. And it's okay to say, I need help. I need Jesus to overcome this sin. So how do we fight through it? First of all, we have to admit it. 
First of all, we have to confess it. So how, what are some specific steps to help us as we fight through the obstacle of sin? First of all, we need gospel-centered community. We need one another in this race, specifically as we battle sin. Right? The worst thing that we can do is get caught up in a cycle of pretending and performing. We don't want to have superficial relationships here. We need a gospel-centered community. And that means that we're willing to be honest with one another. That means that we're willing to show people that we don't have it all together. That we're struggling with sin. We need one another. And we need gospel-centered community. But that means also we need to be willing to walk with one another as when we're in community, we actually wound one another and hurt one another. Right? We need to get grimy, I think, is what we heard last Sunday when we talk about our relationships. We need gospel-centered community to be able to fight through the obstacle of sin. And it's important for us to know what that is. Look, gospel-centered community, it doesn't mean that we're a group of super-Christians who have it all together. We don't. It means we're a bunch of broken people who are entangled in sin. And we desperately need one another and we desperately need Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm wrestling with it every day. And we need to be willing to say that. And that's so hard. I get it. It's hard. Because I want you to look at me and say, you're awesome, man. You're a super Christian. I guess maybe I'm dealing with pride. I don't know. It's hard for us to say it, but we have to. Or we're just going to get caught in the cycle of pretending and performing. Pretending and performing. But ultimately, the fight against sin and overcoming that obstacle is met through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ as our great high priest. So when we're tempted in sin, we have a high priest that we can go to who helps us in the time of our temptation. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I think this is so important. The author of Hebrews is saying, look, Jesus Christ became a man. He has faced the same thing that you have. He was tempted in every way, just like you, except without sin. It's important for us to understand that temptation is not a sin. To be tempted and to admit that you're tempted with something doesn't mean that you're sinning. And I think sometimes we feel the shame of being tempted with a specific sin, and so we don't want to run to Jesus with that because we are afraid that he might cast us out, that he might be angry with us, right? Notice what it says, though. If we go to Jesus when we're tempted, we're not going to receive wrath or judgment, but what? Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. So rather than trying to fight sin on our own when we're tempted, We run to Jesus and find mercy 
and grace and help in the time of need. So as we're battling sin, we shouldn't be afraid to run to the Lord Jesus Christ for help. He knows what we've been through. He's faced it, and he's a sympathetic high priest and is there for us anytime we need it for help. Well, the question is, okay, great. I've been there. I've done that. What happens when I fall into temptation and sin anyway? I think our natural inclination is to say, oh, I had this great high priest. Jesus has done so much for me. I'm going to run and hide now. I should have done better. I shouldn't have fallen. And so we hide. Our first inclination is to run from God in fear and try to hide our shame. But listen, we must run to him, not from him when we sin. Right? We need to run to him, not from him when we sin. And all the way back in the garden, that's our sinful inclination. When we sin, we're out. I'm going to hide. I'm going to run from God. But here's the cool thing, right? Jesus has you covered when you sin. Listen to this great verse, Hebrews 9, verses 13 and 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, talking about what happens when we sin. What do we do? It says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish before God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Did you get that? We run to the Lord Jesus Christ and our sins are covered and forgiven and taken care of. We run to him for cleansing. We run for him, to him, when we sin, not from him. We are cleansed and made whole and righteous before an almighty God through the blood and cross work of our Lord Jesus Christ. But did you notice what it says? It's like, okay, I get that. I'm forgiven. I messed up. I screwed up. I should have done better. I should have gone to the high priest during this time of temptation. Okay, I'm forgiven. That's awesome. I'll stand over here for a little bit and I'll just stay back and I'll learn my lesson and I'll try to do better and but it doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, you're forgiven. Now stand over there till you figure it out. What does it say? We're forgiven to serve the living God. And so often we let sin and our shame and our guilt keep us from doing what God has called us to do. We are cleansed to serve the living God. We don't have to run and hide. We can come out boldly and do what he's called us to do because of what he's accomplished through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the surest signs that you're running with endurance, the race that is set before you, is not the absence of sin, but rather, where do you run when you sin? Do you run away from God, or do you run to God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Our conscience and our shame may tell us to run. The gospel away from God. The, the gospel says, run to him. Keep pursuing God. Are you running from him? Are you hiding? 
Can I just encourage you to come out in the light and experience the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ? You don't have to hide. You don't have to run. If you go to him, he's not going to judge you. There's no lightning bolts, but mercy and grace. Run to him, not from him. So we need to determine to finish the race. We need to determine to fight through the obstacles of weight and sin. But ultimately, we need to focus on Jesus to be able to finish strong the race that God has set before us. Look at verse 2. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So often we get tripped up because we take our eyes off of Jesus and place it on ourselves and on our limitations and on our failures, but we need to focus all the time, every day, on Jesus if we're going to finish the race that God has set before him, for us. And there's no doubt that what we see in verse 2 is that we need to follow Jesus' example on earth. He was faithful. He ran with endurance. He trusted in his Father, the Lord, Je- the Lord Jesus, learned obedience through trusting in his Father during his earthly ministry. He despised the shame, went to the cross, and is glorified. Sure, we need to follow his example. We need to be like Jesus, right? For sure. But we can never follow his example until we learn what it means that he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus Christ, through his work on the cross, puts you in the race. At the cross, Jesus endured the shame, and through his blood, we're redeemed. We start the race of faith through him, and through his resurrection, we are guaranteed eternal life. The redemption that we need was accomplished at the cross. He died one time, one time for sins, and he uttered at the cross, it is finished. Jesus Christ accomplished redemption for anyone who would come to him by faith at the cross. Nothing else needs to be done. It is finished. He starts the race, but notice that he is seated at the right hand of God. The author of Hebrews says that five times about Jesus, that he is seated at the right hand of God. And he's quoting Psalms 110. And this is so powerful and so significant. At the cross, he accomplishes salvation. As our great high priest, he is applying salvation to you right now. The point is this. Jesus is is still working. Jesus lives to make intercession for you right now. He is living right now to accomplish and work for your salvation. Our salvation is based on the cross work of Christ. Our guarantee that we will finish is based on his work as our great high priest, right? Jesus is living for us now, working for us now, and that's so important. That's why the author of Hebrews can say in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you get that? He will save us to the uttermost. 
Our salvation is secure, not because we're strong enough, not because we've built our spiritual muscles, not because we're faithful. We will be saved to the uttermost because Jesus lives to make intercession for us. And he lives so that we might be saved. So in this race of faith that we've got to finish, our only hope for finishing strong is Jesus. Right? Our only hope for finishing strong is that Jesus ran the race for us. So we need to focus on Jesus if we're going to finish the race that God set before us. So the question is, can you see him? Do you see him with eyes of faith? Do you see your king seated in heaven, stepping off the throne, coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross? Have you, when was the last time you went there? When was the last time you stood at the foot of the cross through the pages of scripture and said, my sins are forgiven, I am accepted before Jesus Christ. And see him not only on the cross, but raised forth in glorious life, seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for you, ensuring that you will finish the race that he set before you. We need to keep our eyes focused on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a race to run. We need to determine to finish that race. We need to fight through the obstacles, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we need to stay focused on Jesus Christ. So I've run one mini marathon in my life. One and only one. In 2008, I signed up for the mini marathon in Louisville, Kentucky. And my wife, Kara, had run a couple uh, mini marathons. And so I decided that I wanted to show everyone I was as awesome as she is. So I signed up. And that event is just amazing. There's like... 15,000 runners all jammed together. There's uh, helicopters flying over for the news, and it's just an awesome sight. I mean, it's awesome. And I'm sitting there, and I've got my badge, and I'm thinking, man, I'm awesome too. I'm part of this race. I'm going to run, and I'm so excited. And then it starts, and you know, the first three or four miles are awesome, man. You're just running through there, and you're like, this is great. And the crowd is there on the sidelines cheering you on. They've got the signs, and you're bring- I was just taking it all in. And then, you know, miles five through seven, I'm thinking, you know what, if I'm going to finish this race, I better get pretty serious. So I start concentrating on my breathing and start concentrating on my posture. And then there's miles eight through 10. <laughs> We're running through Churchill Downs. And uh, I'm angry at this point. I'm like, man, you are so stupid. Like, why did you sign up for a race, get up at five in the morning to run around downtown Louisville? That's just stupid, man. And then there's the people with their signs cheering you on. And they're like, keep running. Don't give up. Keep running. And I'm like, shut up. I mean, drop the sign. You run a mile. <laughs> and then there's the miles 11 through 13. And I can remember, man, it's just brutal. Brutal. It's, I'm running and I'm thinking with every step, quit, 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 quit. And I look up and there's my wife running in front of me. I'm like, man, I can't quit. I'll never live that down. And then there's point one. Really? Point one? 13.1 miles. 
Like, 13's not enough. Let's test them. Let's give them point one. And I remember, seriously, like, my body started to cramp up, and I started to lock up, and I'm like, I'm, I am not going to finish this race. And I heard someone from the crowd say, the finish line is right around the corner. I want to tell you this morning, I don't know where you are in the race. Keep running. The finish line is right around the corner. Focus on Jesus and finish strong. Now we have a time to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this is a great time for us to focus on our need of Jesus and what he's accomplished for us on the cross. So we want to invite you to come forward. We'll have uh, two options for you. If you uh, have juice and wine, the glasses with twine have wine. And this is a symbol to help us as believers to remember what Christ has done for us. And I want to encourage you, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've, uh, you're just trying to figure it all out, or if you're struggling, maybe you're caught in a sin, there's pastors who will be here that want to meet with you and talk with you. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that, that you've accomplished, accomplished redemption for us, that we don't have to earn favor with you, Lord, and, and that you've run for us so that if we're struggling, uh, we can come to you. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be honest and open about who we are and where we are in our race and to love one another well and focused on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.